Miller Coors made PBR a hipster's paradise. The Russians are coming for your beer, assuming your beer is Carlsberg. Imports are taking over American Nashville. This is It's All Beer. Welcome to It's All Beer, where we put the fun in a maturing industry coming to grips with the waning interest and oversaturation, the fundamental problems planning businesses around unsustainable growth. I'm Jeremy Jones. Best one yet! <laughs> really, that was the best one I've done. <laughs> that, that, that one, I feel like I even phoned in. No, it was great because it's quirky, cynical, and harshly truthful. <laughs> That's where we're at tonight. We're 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 putting up with some hard truths, uh, while both, uh, not in the bag, but I think neither of us are. I, I think what you said it best. Uh, uh, the spark plugs aren't firing at at, at at on all cylinders, which is exactly how an engine works. Ask anybody. <laughs> Tyler, how are? Can you find a spark plug on your car? I cannot. <laughs> <laughs> is it? Is it near the windshield wipers? Like the actual windshield wipers? Yes. I know, but not really. (laughs) (laughs) It's inside the engine. (laughs) Oh, yeah, then absolutely no idea. Tyler, what are you drinking? (laughs) Uh, Well, because I bought a beer and then I realized I forgot it in the work fridge today. Um, so I had to go scrounge through the fridge, and luckily I found the lone remaining beer that is in my kitchen <laughs> fridge, which is a Lil Cutie Tangerine IPA from Sockeye. Is it uh, 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 a, a another version of the uh, Little Wet, Little Drippy? No, <laughs> not yet. One day. One day. <laughs> You're... You should have just you should just chug the rest of that uh, uh, that um, the uh, the hard Mountain Dew from last week. You still had quite a little. You still had quite a lot of oh, that left over. I was talking to someone this week while at work, and I was like, "They're like, oh, Tyler, you have a beer podcast, right?" And I was like, "Yeah." They're like, "What's it called?" And I was like, "Oh, it's all beer." And then we're talking, and uh, I was like, "Yeah, last week on it." I drank some hard Mountain Dew. And he's like, how was that? And I proceeded to describe in great detail how terrible it was and that it tasted like fermented Smarties that went bad. And he's like, honestly, that's kind of how I expected it to taste. So uh, glad you uh, did the research for me. And I was like, that's what we do here on this podcast. We do the hard hitting research and torture of our body so you don't have to. I'm shocked that um, when you said it tasted like fermented rotten Smarties, that he was like, "Okay, yeah, I, that that tracks," because that is the the description was vivid. I can picture it, but at the same time, that's not. I thought it was going to be awful, but that is a unique kind of awful. Uh, yeah, the kind of awful that I you almost wonder if they went out of their way to uh, accomplish. Like they said, like, I want to meet the brewer who brewed that and went, this, this is my Coupe de Gras. And I want to throat punch him and then kick him so hard or her in the genitals that they can never curse the world with another little shit like them. <laughs> I, um, I, I have some, I have a feeling that it's a him because I feel a woman would have tasted that and been like, no, I can't do that to humanity. Um, uh, on the on a, on a sort of unrelated note, kind of but not really. Um, so we took Declan out trick or treating for the first time um, uh, this year, and I have got to say, um, no the, one passed out fucking edibles. Yeah, I was disappointed too. Yeah, well, well, besides that, um. Also, the quality of candy across the board is is noticeably better. If for no other reason, there was n- there was nary a smarty to be had. Like, could you get? Uh, could you go trick or treating and not end up with like ten things of smarties? 
That's the only time they ever came out, and they were fucking awful. Yeah. Now, well, you know, I'm I'm looking back. <coughs> I, I think I need to go dig through Parker's little trick or treat basket, and I don't. She got that little shit got like three or four full size candy bars. I don't think Parker did either. I don't think she got any shitty candy. She actually got some full-size candy bars, like three or four of those fuckers. I was digging through uh, uh, Declan's candy and had kind of the same realization. I'm like, well, again, like three or four full bars, which I'm like, he's three. A full candy bar is like the equivalent of... Like Tony Montana in fucking cocaine. <laughs> he's he's gonna he's gonna be on top of a, a pile of candy in his room, <laughs> stroking a gun, saying "Say hello to my little friend." Yeah, after bedtime, you're gonna have to walk up behind him with a fucking pillow and just pummel him. <laughs> um, no candy bars. Uh, I mean, even like the small candies, they were like. It's it's all good shit. It's Reese's mm-hmm. and uh, lifesaver, uh, uh, like lifesaver uh, gummies, and and even like the the shittiest it got were like these kind of like flavored Tootsie Rolls, and even those are good. Yeah, I think the worst candy Parker probably got was Whoppers, these... and I love Whoppers. Well, you're the only one. Those are shit candies. <laughs> I mean, they're not my favorite. I'm not going to order a whole bag, but a little three Whopper fucking quick hit, I'll take. You look like a man who enjoys his Whoppers. <laughs> Fuck you and the horse you rode in on. I don't know why that was an insult, but I'm glad you took it as one. Because <laughs> uh, I knew you meant it as one. <laughs> Jeremy, what are you drinking since um, we've got completely off in the weeds? And... I I am because uh, I care about this podcast. I went and I went out of my way to seek out. I said a I new... bought it. I put it in the fridge at work. <laughs> I'm just I I went out of my way to go seek out a new beer in town um, that we got at the shop, uh, <laughs> and by out of my way, I mean. I, I said, oh, before I leave, I should buy that beer. Uh, Uprise Brewing out of Spokane, Washington. Uh, we just started getting their stuff into town. Uh, this is their Nectar Wave Hazy IPA. And the first thing, uh, I don't know, you, can you see it there? It's probably hard to see, but the first thing I notice is, good God, is that pale. That's like... Yeah. Uh, that's like... Brew- that looks like you peed it out. No, mine is definitely more uh, has more color than that because I am severely dehydrated because of <laughs> the amount of beer I drink. the The flavor is rather nice. It's you got that tropical fruit, uh, papaya, mango, kind of a sh- with a kind of a sharpness that's almost like red wine or white wine esque. That's like red wine in that pale color. Like, I'm sorry, damn, <laughs> white wine esque. Uh, a little bit of bitterness. I disagree with its uh, its uh, pillowy finish. It's I, I I don't know what a pillowy finish is. I think we're back to Tony Montana again. No, 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 no. <laughs> In the Declan no, scenario. No, 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 no. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, it doesn't have that real full, soft mouthfeel. No, it's. It's not. It doesn't have a lot of body, at all. I mean, in not a bad way. It's not thin, but it doesn't it's have that pillow. I, well, first of all, I I sort of disagree in most instances with um with the uh, with the descriptions in hazy IPAs like pillowy, cloudy, fluffy, uh, mouthfeel. Little wet, little drippy. Little wet, little drippy. Um, yeah, all those things I sort of disagree with. Occasionally they apply, but most of the time I think they are extraneous. Yeah, I mean, craft beer is kind of built on being full of shit. Yeah, and a little over the top. That's fair. Uh, and speaking of uh, uh, full of shit and a little over the top, tap tap jet motherfucker. It's gonna be a good episode, everybody. Strap in, Tyler. Do you want? To kick us off today, we've talked about GABF on this podcast before. Um, I even did a slight live stream before uh, the Drunken Haze took over. 
a couple years ago when I was at it. Um, but I uh, saw an article today from the wine enthusiast of all fucking publications to come out and write an article about GABF this year. I was like, I'm morbidly curious and now have to click on this. Um, and basically they started talking about the dwindling attendance at the great American beer festival. Uh, their assumptions of why attendance is dying off and kind of what that means for the rest of the industry, you know, smaller beer festivals that aren't as, uh, well-known or as big of a deal as great American beer fest and, you know, not in Denver, a destination for a lot of craft beer drinkers. Um, so to kind of hop in, um, you know, they relive their glory days of going to GABF, you know, talk about it. If you're unfamiliar, it is a three day beer festival in Denver usually in October or the last weekend of September. It is a competition where breweries from around the country submit beers to. There's also a beer festival portion of it. Uh, there are four different sessions where people can be in and drinking. Um, it And you walk around. It's all you can drink at the beer festival, but it's all one-ounce pours. Um, and it is a fuckload of people. Um, I've never, I've not been, but I've seen pictures and, uh, and it looks, it looks like a, it looks like a, a a convention center full of beer geeks. Oh, it is a massive convention center in downtown Denver. Um, and I mean this, it used to be as soon as tickets would go on sale, it would sell out within hours or within the day of being available. All the sessions were sold out. It's no longer getting to be that point. There's tickets available now when the gates open for the session. Um, the Brewers Association predicted about 40,000 attendees over the four sessions in the three days attended this year. Down from the peak of 65,000 in 2019. So they had a lot of tickets left over. Did they? Ha- or did they just? Did they have just fewer tickets all around? Uh, I think they have fewer tickets, but they still had some left over. I mean, at the end of the day, if you can fit, it's not like it's changed venues. So if you can fit sixty-five thousand people in there, you're gonna keep selling tickets till you hit that number. Uh, but also the amount of breweries participating. Um, dropped as well uh they only had about 500 breweries this year pouring compared to a high of 800 back in 2018 uh some of their guesses why it changed is you know lingering effects of covid and people trying to avoid big crowds um you know, younger generations not drinking as much or drinking less beer. So why are they going to go to a more beer focused event? Um, and the fact that uh, breweries are really flourishing, making, you know, solid offerings. And there's so many out and about. I mean, we're at about 10,000 breweries operating in the United States with the different beer subscription services or Tavor, you can get all these world-class beers sent right to your house and not have to go stand in line and fight the crowds, fight the lines to get a one ounce pour at a time at a festival. That's you and your 39,000 closest friends are at. Um, another thing they brought up that actually made a lot of sense to me was at the festival, yeah, there's sometimes brewers at the booth, but it is all manned by volunteers typically. Um, Yeah, brewers are hanging out at the booth, but they're wandering to and fro. Um, Or even if there is a brewer there at the booth pouring you your sample, there's usually a couple people deep 
waiting to try these beers. So you don't really have a bunch of time to sit there and have an in-depth conversation with the brewers where if you were in a tap room, you might have that opportunity to sit there and chat if it's a little bit slower. Really pick their brain on this beer. So it's all those are kind of dwindling down the the perks of being at the Great American Beer Festival. I I'm surprised I, what, given how every other like travel opportunity is is exploding. I'm 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 sort of skeptical of, about the the idea of. Uh, uh, the COVID pandemic still affecting it in a negative way since about every other event in this country or in the world is now packed with a bunch of people who are in, in, in a term that I just, I, I kind of love for its stupidity, uh, revenge traveling. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Uh, when I saw that, I was like, okay, that that seems a little bit of a stretch like, it feels so you're saying craft beer people are the only ones still like cautious over COVID. Like, uh, I, I think at the end of the day, like you're, that's not going to be the make or break, whether you go to GABF. I think the, I, I think the idea that younger generations are, you know, younger people are, are not getting into craft beer nearly as much as valid um the the industry is aging and is is it's uh uh wild youth is sort of kind of behind it as i i sort of stated in the uh in the intro to this uh so mm -hmm. and the and the interest is sort of dropping off and yeah i could see that affecting attendance and uh there might be but some I think the perceived value is just not what it used to be because honestly now having been to gabf I would go back to town, to Denver, for GABF weekend. I don't know if I would be like, yeah, let's go back to the festival. I'd be like, okay, uh, I'm going to go hit all these super cool bars in Denver because they have killer lineups for GABF week and just go fart around all these bars and uh, just avoid the festival. That's an interesting... So as, as as someone I I I still have not yet gone in in a in a uh, uh, something that's in a, to my eternal discredit. Uh, is it worth going at this point in time? If I've never gone, if you have never gone, it is worth going because it is worth just seeing like the mass of people. It is a craft beer samplers fucking paradise. I mean, you can go try because it is one ounce samples. I mean. There's no lack of catching a quick buzz because you're walking up. You're like, oh, yeah, this double IPA. I want to try this. Oh, this bourbon barrel aged stout. I want to try this, this lager, this. And you're just it's a smorgasbord of excellent beers that you're trying. Uh, yeah, we have one ounce, uh, 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 like 10 one ounce pours of like 10 percent. So still start to get you fuckered up after a while. Oh, 100 percent. And so. Um, I think, especially they're because... they're pretty efficient at handing those out. I as I under is my understanding. Oh yeah, I was gonna say, I never waited in a line super long. Uh, the only one that was super bad when I was there is right before they tapped the Utopius keg from Sam Adams. It was basically impossible to get through that section I've, it was that many people crowded in trying to get that i've only tried utopias once um i had maybe a half an ounce in a hotel paper cup which is the correct way to fully appreciate the the nuances of that particular beer yeah i tried probably about a half ounce too and i was like mm, okay yeah cool um but if you haven't been, I would recommend going. It is a fun time. But having been there once, I if I had friends be like, hey, let's go to GABF, I'd be like, actually, let's just go to Denver that week. And like every bar is doing different GABF themed events. So you have like 
there's some bars doing West Coast versus East Coast IPAs, and so they've got like the best IPAs made on the West Coast, the best IPAs from the East Coast, all on tap, and you can do a flight of each or just get pints of each. Um, but I think this is going to spell a lot of trouble for smaller fest, especially the ones that aren't all you can drink and are ticketed. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think, especially with purse strings getting a little tighter, people are starting to be like, okay, this is a six ounce cup. It cost me $4 for a token that gets me one fill of this. And I could go to this bar, have this beer for six, $7 and have a full pint. Uh, I, I have to wonder if like beer festivals won't start evolving the way the general industry has, which is to say we've, it was very centralized uh, to, to start a brewery circa, you know, 2010 or something. Uh, You're, you're down. You had to be at beer fest or no one knew you. Uh, well, and and besides that, uh, you know, it, your general location was different. You were you were getting into that new hip, like re-renovated industrial section, uh, or downtown. You wanted to be there, and it's since you know when all the breweries sort of clustered together. Now there's more value in being and uh, and having your uh, just being your neighborhood watering hole. And so, in the same vein, I can't help but wonder, like, if a if a uh, a festival, you know, a national festival is going to be less attractive than just smaller, more regional or local festivals. I was going to say, I, I, honestly, I, I'm thinking the opposite. I think, yeah, those couple big national festivals, that's what people want. So they can go say they went, try a ton of beers that they possibly can't get or have to order online, pay a bunch in shipping and waiting might not be the best conditions it's shipped to them at. Um, and they may not enjoy that beer. So it's that risk involved with that, but going, making a weekend with friends, uh, making a trip out of it and saying, yeah, I went to this huge beer fest that's awesome. Instead of just going down to the local one that has all the same beers you can find in the grocery store. Yeah, fair enough. Because the beer fest, all these beer fests are like, you need to donate beers. Uh, and so they're <laughs> like, well, why don't you donate something cool? And I'm like, because we have to make money. And so I'm, I'm going to donate you something we have a lot of. Uh, not something that's one-off and we're only doing six kegs of. Like, fuck you. I like how that... Hypothetically, of course, I, I, this is I, this feels like it was just completely hypothetically and not in any way based on personal experience. <laughs> uh, but it was kind of interesting to see in this article they talked about less brewers participating. And, I mean, it... It's it's an expensive thing to participate in GABF. And there's not you really any return. I say tangible return. It's not like you you go there you with you it's not like you spend $500 to get there and you return with 1500. Unless you distribute out in that area or get a temporary distribution license for that area and you can sell some kegs, do a couple events that helps mitigate that cost. But if you're just a small brewery who wants to go over, pour that beer, you're doing it. So you can say you poured beer at GABF and that's it. Like you're not making any money on it. So that, and, and as times get harder for breweries across the board, there's less perceived value there. I mean, if you're still trying to try to make a name for yourself as a, as a, you know, powerhouse of hazies or barrel aged stuff maybe it's required but that's a hard that's a but hard the thing, thing is you can still enter the competition without pouring at the festival well entering the comp i think that there, i should think there'd be like some value to actually getting it into people's hands versus just 
I mean, winning winning the con winning the 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 beer competition is good too. Ideally, you're doing both, but well, it if it comes down, you're going to submit beers and not go over. If it comes down, you have to pick. You're going to submit beers and not go over. Fair. Just skipping it all together. So. Well, shit, even, and uh, as I understand, even entering beers is not cheap, so. No, and and you're maxed out at five beers. Yeah. Where other beer festivals like NABA, you can enter as many as you want. So. Jeremy, what do we got next? Uh, Putin is trying to steal beer news now. Uh, a, a lot Put of times. back! I'll. <laughs> A lot of times, um, when you've got a project that's going terribly, you find yourself uh, very quickly realigning your goals. Um, you know, back when I was building my own computers, and I remember distinctly trying to install upgrades at least once, uh, and it going very poorly. I found myself trying to—I found myself basically saying, putting old components back in, saying, "If I can just get the bastard to boot up again, I'll be happy." Uh, and that's. <laughs> Basically, where Vladimir Putin finds himself at this point in time, but with whole nation states, not just a shitty, halfly, shittily built computer. Uh, this comes. Where in... you're... Yeah, I was gonna say for him, he's like, "Fuck, I might come home and find my suicide note." You're like, "Fuck, I might actually have to go buy an actual computer now." Uh... I did actually end up buying that, <laughs> and that's where I find myself today. Uh, this is a from Reuters, uh, dated November first. Uh, by Jacob Grunholt. Um, so rather than seizing Ukraine, uh, Vladimir Putin, or the funky Vladi Put, as they used to call him in the KGB, um, tried to content himself with seizing a brewery. Uh, Carlsberg, the formerly self-proclaimed best beer ever until uh, April of 2019. We actually covered this story way back in episode three when they finally admitted to themselves and the rest of us that their swill was a bit shit. Do you remember that? Yep. <laughs> Maybe not the best beer in the world. <laughs> uh, well, like a lot of businesses in Europe, prior to the Ukraine kerfuffle, um, they did business in Russia, and in fact, uh, Carlsberg owned the top Russian ba- brand, uh, Baltica. Uh, uh, since Pooty Fluff Fluff went and got naughty on us, uh, they've been trying to sell their stake in the company, and bloody good luck there. Uh, if you think that trying to sell a brewery in America is a bit of a challenge, try one nestled deep in Satan's frigid butthole. The Russian- in the middle of a war. <laughs> in the middle of a war. The Russian government did make them an offer for Baltica, but uh, Carlsberg declined. Because um, uh, you can't really take that money. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, on account of the Russian government. That'd be like when your wife goes, when you're like, hey, I want to go do this. And she's like, that's fine. Do what you want. I repeat, don't do what you want. <laughs> <laughs> danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Do not pers- do not. <laughs> so at least Carlsberg had enough wherewithal to be like, yeah, we can't take that money. <laughs> um. Uh, despite all of it, they did find a buyer in June. So Vlad did what any other reasonable person would do. He ordered his government to seize Carlsberg's stake in Russian breweries. Um, Jacob Arup Anderson, the new CEO of Carlsberg, to- told Reuters, quote, There is no way around the fact that they have just stolen our business in Russia, and they are and we are not going to help them make we're not going to help them make that look legitimate. Um, Carlsberg has eight breweries in Russia, uh, about eight thousand employees. And it does mean they're kind of stuck because they refuse to enter in any agreement. Um, in kind of the same spirit of not negotiating with terrorists. But it also means they really can't do anything with their assets. So uh, last month, uh, Carlsberg delivered the, uh, the I think, the ultimate uh, spanking that uh, uh, they could give to any nation. Are you ready for this? They came together and with a stern but firm hand decided to end its licensing agreements for its brand in Russia. Yes, 
Previously, pr previously, Baltica breweries were able to brew and sell Carlsberg, but no more. They've effectively removed a beer that last I had tastes a bit like rotting engine coolant. They should have <laughs> double production. <laughs> I think I, I think I mentioned this back in episode three. It's one of the few beers where I've ordered it at, at a tap room and sent back. I ordered it. I think it was at like it was like the yard house because they have it on draft there because they don't know any better. <laughs> oh, hold on! That just reminded me of something I witnessed today. Oh, is that? I'm sitting at a bar during my workday, talking to the bartender, and the server comes up and goes, "Hey, those ladies over there uh, said this Bud Light pitcher's too potent." And wanted to send it back because, and I quote, she's a diehard Bud Light drinker, uh, and that just tastes way too potent, so can she switch to Coors Light? Okay. Did they accidentally and pour her a Budweiser, or? <laughs> no, no Budweiser on tap, just only Bud Light. So he's like, what the fuck? He pours a little splash out of of the pitcher, takes a sip, pours a little splash off the tap, takes a sip, because tastes like Bud Light. A bit I'll like, just get her a pitcher of Coors Light. Here you go. Bit like watery shame. There you go. Well, he's like too potent. What the fuck do you want me to do? <laughs> I was like. I was like, you could take the little soda gun and just hit soda water and top up that pitcher, and it'll still be carbonated and just as watery. So, <laughs> I mean, Coors Light is famously even has has less flavor than even Bud Light. We use it for um, off flavors. Off yeah. flavors. Well, that and because Budweiser has an off flavor, so um, yeah. But I would, but in I. I've I can I can drink a Bud Light I can choke one of those down and, you know uh, Carlsberg well I, the first time I, I had that I'm like I'm sorry I uh, this is wrong and um, I, I I went ahead and just like flagged him along I'm like I'm sorry I'll, I'll pay for it but can you get me something else this is this is legitimately awful uh, and, and even my <laughs> And my friend and my friend tried it too. He was like, "Oh my god, that's bad." And I think we've just kind of assumed it was the uh, uh, it was the the something wrong with the lines. Until my friend, I think he sent me a text. He saw it at a grocery store, so he picked one up and opened it at home. And he said, "Nope, just as bad out of the can, <laughs> just as fucking bad. It wasn't their fault. This is how the beer tastes." <laughs> my point is. Is that terrible beer is now unavailable in Russia? That'll show them. <laughs> I think you guys have it all wrong. I don't know what Russian beer is like. I've never had a Baltica. Uh, I don't imagine it's great. Uh, but given how much Russians drink in general, it's probably fine. Boozy and yeah, <laughs> not as bad as Carlsberg. So obviously, what we need to do is make Carlsberg the only beer available in Russia. Fuck that. No, the only booze available in Russia. If you could cut these motherfuckers off from their vodka and make the only thing there is to drink Carlsberg beer, that population would be running into a major problem. They have their national... Who would be found hanging <laughs> from a doorway. <laughs> their national urge to get positively shithoused would run headlong into the human urge to not drink something that tastes like well, the can that it came in more uh, makes the can seem more appetizing by comparison. You're right. Uh, uh, Putin would lose control in like a month and would. <laughs> it ain't making it a month. It'd be like a week and a half. <laughs> He's not making it out of the palace, actually. <laughs> the Russian population's sober. That's how revolutions start. Be like the Irish, man. Seriously, that 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 would be the end of that. It would just be uh, uh that, would, that I think that would uh I think that would I think we could uh, end so many conflicts uh with that that Carlsberg gets a fucking Nobel Peace Prize. Uh probably not the best beer, but one that inspires world peace through its awfulness. Um 
unless Rus- Russian beer is worse than I think. I honestly don't know, but I do know that Carlsberg is pretty awful. So do your patriotic duty, Carlsberg. <laughs> flood, flood the market. <laughs> You've got. We can't even give it away. <laughs> Listen. I, I know it seems bad making money off this, but in this instance, I'd go ahead and just say flood the market. <laughs> or maybe uh, that's... Or is that considered a war crime? Is that considering punishing the, the civilian population? Maybe maybe I have this all wrong. Maybe there's something the in the... The population's like, you should have just carpet bombed us. <laughs> maybe Maybe I got this wrong. This might violate the Geneva Convention or something. Uh, I'll look it up. Uh, Tyler, what do you have next? <laughs> well, we're going to talk about how Miller Coors accidentally made PBR the beer of hipsters everywhere. I uh, always wondered how that happened because uh, for for me, it was shortly after college and I, I had hipster friends. I'm not proud of it. Um, they were just yes, there. Um, and they were, they were all drinking paps and I, and I couldn't figure it out. What, what, what was happening? So, uh, we got to go back to before the early aughts, uh, when PBR was a struggling company. Um, so before PBR started to make its comeback, uh, in the early two thousands, uh, it was basically circle in the drain. Uh, at its peak in 1978, Pabst was cranking out roughly 23 million barrels of beer a year. By 2001, sales had bottomed out at 872,000 barrels of beer a year. Still a massive number, but, but nowhere near. That's much less. Yes. Um, uh, about a decade prior, uh, the owner, Paul Laminovitz, uh, had passed away and left the keys and ownership of the brewery to... Jeremy, would you like to guess? Uh, fuck. I don't... I should... This is Since you're asking me to guess, I should probably know who it is, but I have no fucking idea. His pets. <laughs> okay, I wasn't expecting that. His His pets. A dog, yes. a dog owned Pabst for a minute. I don't know if it was dogs or cats. The article didn't specify. It just said pets. His, it just said pets. Could a lizard uh, have owned part? Had uh, own a partial stake in Pabst? Yep. So <laughs> technically, the company then fell into a charitable trust that was legally obligated to try to sell the brewery every five years. <laughs> But because PBR was struggling so much, no one wanted to buy it. Not only does your dog own a brewery, he owns a shitty, shitty brewery. <laughs> that no one wants to pay money for. <laughs> like, all these major brands just missed out on buying this. Um, so... In about 2000, uh, Miller started to take on the contract of brewing for Pabst. Uh, but Pabst didn't have enough money to pay Miller Coors. So, to sweeten the deal, Pabst gave Miller a handful of brands, including Mickey's Malt Liquor and Blitz Beer. <laughs> that sweetens the deal? So, once, <laughs> once they got their hands on the Blitz portfolio, it killed the Blitz beer brand. Um, I don't remember although, Blitz beer. What is Blitz beer? Is that is, is that relevant or? Uh, it is. It'll be a okay. little more relevant. Uh, it's Blitz beer's sister beer is Henry Weinhardt's Private Reserve, which Hot Valley, owned by Molson Coors. Uh, still brews to this day. I mean, recently. Uh, I mean, not. I, I think yeah. still brews to this day is a bit of a misnomer. They are now yes. brewing it because it was no longer available they for. Started brewing it again a couple of years ago. Right. Um, so I've, I've never heard of Blitz beer though. I had neither. Um, 
But, oh, good. The the encyclopedia shitty beer didn't hear about it either, so it's not just me. Yeah. But uh, shortly after this all went down, PBR started to notice their numbers were still declining in every part of the country except Portland. Of course, fucking Portland. So, um, <laughs> Paps got curious and uh, took their... Um, Portland, you are the worst, best city ever. <laughs> their former marketer, Neil Stewart, put him on a plane and kicked him off to Portland to said to go figure what the fuck's going on. <laughs> so he landed Portland, reaches out to Took the a local picture of his feet on the, on, on the tarmac, as they were wont to do back in those days. Uh, and the local distributors were like, oh, you need to go to Lutz Tavern. Uh, you'll figure everything out. <laughs> it's a dive bar in Southeast Portland's Woodstock neighborhood, uh, which opened in 1947. And... It's a stone's throw away from Reed College, which was apparently in the early 2000s the crown jewel of granola liberal arts schools. Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, given its near proximity to a college campus uh, and their clients not having a lot of money, its top seller for years was dollar cans of Blitz beer. So when Miller Coors discontinued Blitz, the bar managers went to the distributors and said, hey, we need a light, shitty beer that we can get in a can and sell it for a dollar. Like, what's around this same price? Well, the beer that the distributors brought up was Paps Blue Ribbon. <laughs> and... There, it's, they said there were absolute scorching deals on cases of PBR and kegs, uh, said Lane Martin, a former manager, uh, in 2015 in an interview with the Willamette Week. Uh, he said, we were one of the few outlets in Portland that sold kegs to go, so we could sell them at a really good deal. We started the PBR dollar can special. We were going through hundreds of cases and dozens of kegs a week of PBR. <laughs> <laughs> was it long before other places nearby started to notice and the Delta Cafe down the street started doing similar PBR specials uh, sending PBR cans into the hands of people buying American Spirit cigarettes uh, growing their handlebar mustache and it just started that slow trend taking off in the Pacific Northwest, eventually nationwide, that PBR is a hipster beer. It had reached uh, Eugene by the time I was in college. I couldn't figure out why. I mean, I, you you talk about this story. I, I'm, I'm now flashing back because I'm like, all the little dive bars near campus all had a dollar or two dollar specials on PBR and just mm -hmm. PBR. And I never really thought about it until just this moment. It's probably and 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 to the and to be fair, the reason I ever drank it in college and the reason I have sort of a uh, an affinity for it now, although as we when we did the blind taste test, maybe it's because I drank so much of it uh, in college that I just prefer. But we both picked perhaps as what our number was that was our number one, wasn't it? Uh, I can't remember. I think perhaps was our number uh. one because I was proud of that. I'm like, okay, Paps, I'm okay with that. Our number two is what made me ashamed of ourselves. Natty Ice, baby. That was Natty Ice. I'm still, I'm still not okay. And with number that. three was Chorus Original. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but so Let's Tavern has its claim to fame of being known as the bar that got a generation hooked on PBR. Uh, they said, you know, Blitz never really took hold with the young kids quite like PBR did. Um, and par they partially attribute that to apparently Paps Portland rep uh, overspent his sales budget nearly five times over by giving Paps neon signs to every single bar that stocked the beer. Uh, it's old school Americana packaging, uh, but it was basically the perfect storm to save a failing company 
and make handlebar mustache wearing hipsters everywhere delight that when they was, see a PBR. That was part of the draw, you got to remember, is the fact that it was dad beer at the time. Uh, probably much like Blitz, because it was, you know, it, the the hipsters, they never did anything authentically. Everything they did was ironic. You know, they wore uh, 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 T-shirts. Flannels. Yeah, yeah. yeah, flannels and T-shirts with uh, uh, with logos of, of things that they would never use, and they and they drank beer that their that their their dads would have drank because it's ironic in a yeah. in a Alanis Morissette uh, sense of the word. In which case, no one really knows what that word means, but that's what they said. Uh, but it, I had always wondered why how PBR became that fucking hipster beer, and now I know it's because. Fucking Portland. Miller Coors butt fumbled it in Portland. <laughs> Fucking Portland. <laughs> All they had to do was buy Paps Brewing from a dog, and they could have had it all to themselves pets we just we 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 they they're just an, an amalgamation of pets there's probably some dogs some cats did they, how do you think yeah. they, how do you think they made out in the deal is there a millionaire dog now i don't know probably they're all dead this well, has I'm been assuming a... <laughs> by now <laughs> but they die rich i don't know uh i'm I'm um, looking up to see if I can find uh, who anything what, on what pets. What? Well, while you're while you're looking that up, I, I guess I shall sing a song about the dog that owned Pabst. Uh, there was a dog; he owned Pabst. Uh, or, or how about you tell us about the next article? Okay. And uh, if I find anything, <laughs> we'll. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I like how you. I like how you went ahead. Like, no, 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 no. I'm not letting you improvise. How about I do like a freestyle rap about it? Would that would that be better? <laughs> I, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm not going to embarrass myself or offend anybody on that level. Uh, uh, imports aren't imported news now. Uh, we talked uh, uh, last week about some of the struggles that American importers have abroad, particularly in Europe, and we will cycle back to that a little bit. Uh, but the landscape is changing for those importing to the U.S. as well, as you can probably guess. If you pay any attention to the beer news, and if you don't, uh, well, welcome to your first episode of It's All Beer, uh, where we talk about beer news. Or maybe you're a longtime listener, you just use our voices as white noise at bedtime, although I fear the person that finds Tyler's loud, angry rants about slushy beer soothing. <laughs> just, yeah, right? <laughs> if that like, is what, you got some motherfucking problems. <laughs> if that's what pushes you... Listen, do what you gotta do, but if that's what puts you to sleep, uh, seek therapy. Anywho, this comes from a Vine Pair article by Joshua Bernstein. Uh, uh, last year, uh, we covered this, uh, Sapporo bought Stone Brewing. And this was after they purchased Anchor, which is not known for their production of lagers. We did a whole episode on that. But bottom line, Sapporo wanted a brewery that could make lagers. They got one. And this summer, along with the usual lineup of IPAs and the delicious IPA and the not-so-delicious IPA and the Tangerine Express and all the other things that uh, you come to know at Stone Brewing, there was a, quote, experimental pale lager. Oh, what, oh, what could that be, he wondered quietly to himself. Um, uh, it's going to be a bit of a twist. It turns out that the logger was Sapporo. Um, and in another twist, and one that's actually slightly unbelievable, people were really drinking it down. It was successful enough, uh, and people were coming in for that beer enough that the brewery dropped all pretense and put it right on the board, yes, that is Sapporo Lager brewed right here at our at, at Stone Brewing, and according to reports, it's off and on been their uh, their uh, their best top three selling beers in the brewery. What the fuck? Um, now this is part of a uh, the the article points out this is part of a larger migration, and that it and it it almost is to in, in a contrast to what we talked about last week, and it reflects a. Uh, 
kind of different starting points with a different dynamic between American beer culture and the one that uh, uh, and the one abroad. Um, not so long ago, uh, before craft beer upended the entire landscape, um, uh, import beer represented the premium experience and its origins matter. Uh, the article points to a 1977 lawsuit between uh, Anheuser-Busch and Miller because apparently they were tussling over advertising for nearly half a decade. <laughs> I did not know this. Fuck, we could have been doing this podcast so long ago. <laughs> they were they were at each other's throats in, in the 70s over this shit. At the time, Miller owned uh, Lombra, and it was brewing uh, in the United States while implying that it was coming from Germany. Uh, and uh, uh, Anheuser-Busch, I nearly said AB InBev, but no, it's, it's, it's Anheuser-Busch uh, called them on it. Uh, Guinness, you might remember, faced a similar lawsuit a few years uh, back uh, wherein they had to pay $5 to everyone involved in that lawsuit, uh, enough to almost... Uh, Kona had that happen too. Uh, similar, but not the same. I mean, they weren't claiming it was brewed in another country, but, but same idea. Hope claimed it was brewed in Hawaii when it wasn't. Um, uh, uh, at the time Guinness was brewed in Canada, although ironically, by the time the lawsuit ended, uh, Guinness was being brewed back in Ireland. So, uh, times has changed and distance has become a bit of a liability for a couple of reasons. First as uh, the obvious one, we talked about it yesterday, uh, shipping beer is fucking expensive, uh, and while there was a time when consumers could justify the higher price price point with higher quality that's no longer the case craft beer came along and did their thing and so now there's no shortage of quality beers that don't have to sit on a boat for a month uh and then there's there there's one other thing um american tastes have grown more sophisticated uh in the interim and now they can recognize the detriment to a beer sitting around for too long and a long boat ride doesn't do that any favors. Um, no. So by setting up shop and brewing beer in this country, they not they can not only make a fresher, higher quality product, uh, but they can make quick pivots for local tastes. In a sense, offering a similar craft experience uh, with the backing of a larger also- brand. Wouldn't they be avoiding some tariffs? In uh, that, yes, that as well. Although it, it, that's an interesting point. It didn't actually mention the the cost savings as far as as far as tariffs. But yeah, I I I, I should think they would be avoiding some of them as well. Although I'm not sure if it's produced in this country. Yes, I should think that that's not being uh, not being imported technically. Not being te- indeed. Um, <clears throat> It's a lot of and the, and where this but where this is happening, which is interesting, is kind of at the craft left craft level. The article points to a company called uh, uh, Beer to National, which helps arrange contract brewing deals between small American craft brewers and small brewers uh, elsewhere in the world. They hooked up, for example, um, uh, uh, Hapa's Cerveceria in. Uh, uh, to uh, Great South Bay Brewing in uh, Bayshore, in Bayshore, New Jersey. Uh, uh, Hapas is out of uh, uh, Brazil, and they talk about how they were able to uh, uh, quickly pivot uh, at the local level. They have the the uh, uh, Hapas has a, a, a wasabi infused pale ale, hmm. which, all right, to me. I've had a couple jalapeno beers, you know, pepper beers. Those are good for about one. But, well, first of all, I don't think I've actually had actual wasabi. I've only had horseradish, but I, I can't eat it because it that's all I taste. And Yeah, I, I'm like, I'm curious. <laughs> I would probably order one, but I don't know if I'd ever order another again. I, I mean, I just, I'm like... I want to try this, but I don't think it's going to be good. Uh, their thing is to mix uh, Brazilian and Japanese uh, tradition and taste together uh, in beer form. Um, but the thing was, is that uh, that beer apparently being one of their flagships in Brazil uh, in this country just was not 
selling worth a damn. Um, they they worked with the uh, with the the brewery in the states. Um, quickly changed what they were uh, quickly changed things. It started releasing an orange ginger wit beer that did a lot better. And they pointed out that I mean, if you're thinking about the uh, like the the uh, supply chain for an imp- for an import, you know, you you import a beer, it doesn't do well. It's it, it's really not possible to just suddenly go, okay, well, we're going to offer another beer for any number of reasons. Um, not the least of which is, okay, but your, your, the brewer uh, or your distributor in the, in the United States is still stuck with cases and cases of a beer that nobody wants. That they already paid for. <laughs> and are not likely to, to take a chance on another one. So the fact that they could just go, oh, okay, that's not selling. Okay, well, how about we try brewing this beer? Um, uh, 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 Tummer, a, a Austrian brewery that's been running it for over 400 years, uh, recently opened a tap room in Berkeley, California. Uh, they were basically making and selling one beer, the Tremor uh, Lager, which is an interesting choice to have like a tap room with just one beer available. I don't really, that's how they made it sound. I'm not sure what that tap room is like. Uh, I, 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 I'll take a beer. Yes. You kind of go there. I, they, how would you like to be the fucking beer tender in that joint? The 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 hipsters in Berkeley coming up. Uh, got any IPAs? You got any yeah, hazies? Yeah, got a great one. Got a great one. Here you go. We we, that, we that, no, we don't have that's any. That's what hazies. you gave the guy for the who ordered a lager. Yep, I know. That'll be six fifty, please. Where where where's the where's the menu? There is no menu. There's only one beer. Is it a hazy? No, it's not a hazy. Please, please leave <laughs> and take your beard with you. You know what? Fuck it. Let's do it. <laughs> Although Montucky's made it. I don't know. Does Montucky have a tap room? I don't think so. They're contract brewed. I don't think they have a tasting room in Montana. That makes sense. Um, and I feel they're like dying off kind of hard. Is that right? I, I haven't seen them. You're, I, I think you're. I, I haven't seen them around as much. I haven't thought too much about them. And I was talking to someone when I was up in Montana last, and they're like, "Yeah, it's kind of dying out up here too." That sort of makes sense. There was kind of like, "Oh yeah, we make a really good lager." Well, you make an acceptable lager. We forgot to include it in our in our shitty beer tour, but uh, I think when we we tested it later, like, "Ooh, this would have been like." middle or back um yeah uh anywho we're getting off into the wheeze um uh again they pivoted and they uh they got themselves a a, a little pilot system and started making a wide range of more traditional offerings uh, schwartz beers keller beers um other traditional lagers uh no fucking hazies all right the the uh, uh Lars Larson uh, uh the the viking uh, uh the viking uh, celebrity and uh, uh turns out the brewer at this uh, at uh, at this uh particular brewery mentioned that they stick very close to their traditional roots um uh and that means no fucking hazy or double IPAs or anything like that so the the the, hay, the haze bros are out of luck at this one but it uh, nice traditional mix of old and new um the article did mention this i didn't and i didn't know this uh back in two, 2018 guinness opened their baltimore brewery but it actually closed yeah. this year yeah i didn't i missed this i must have missed that i think we hit that real quick one day before we went on summer break you know that actually might be something i did <laughs> I don't listen. I don't listen when I talk, and and uh, and I don't think you do either. And that's probably for the best. Um, <laughs> I'll have to go back and listen to our own podcast. I can't remember why that uh, why why that was, but I'm guessing it was uh, a lot of money and a lot of money going out, a lot and not a lot of money coming back. Or we talked about doing it, but there wasn't enough meat on it at the time, and so we just Could've, skipped it. Little be- little, little uh, peek behind the curtain. What goes on here, especially when we're tired at uh, at at uh, quarter after ten and <laughs> and trying to record. Uh, it does mention that as well that a host of uh, American breweries have been using the same tactics to break into the European market. Outer Range, for example, opened a tap room in uh, 
Salanches, France. I'm gonna go ahead and say I'm gonna guess that's how you pronounce that uh, uh, that town. Um, and if it's not correct, uh, fuck you. You're in France. Um, <laughs> you can send an email to uh, 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 to it's all it all it's all beer. Fuck at, you, you French frog. <laughs> it's all beer at gmail.com uh, with a pronunciation guide, and I'm gonna you know what now it's slenches. All right. <laughs> Uh, we, of course, talked about the barriers of getting of an American breweries getting over into the European market last week. Um, and, actually, but, uh, and actually going there to open a brewery is a kind of a way around that. But it's definitely not an easy solution. Outer Range uh, uh, talked of uh, the problems they had. Uh, a plumber that just up and disappeared. A coffee roaster that caught on fire. Uh, their co-founder, Emily Cleghorn, was quoted in the article saying, quote, and any like any small mountain town, it's hard to find contractors who can meet your timelines, which, and also trying to and trying to coordinate that from another country presumably is, and trying to talk. I mean, if you're gonna try to open a, another brewery in an, another country, at least have the goddamn common courtesy to go over there for a couple months while shit's getting done. She might have. I don't. I'm. I'm not really sure. But either way. Um, also, I think trying to get the French people to do anything constructive is 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 a challenge. Impossible. Um, and uh, I know a couple of French people who actually live here. I think they would back me up on that. I think they would. I think they have enough. They have enough uh, 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 self realization about their national culture to be like, yeah, they're they're not gonna do shit. <laughs> yeah. Of course, the big question that was posed in the article uh, that came up, that is that, well, if an import's being made right here, uh, is it really an import anymore? Kind of going back to the Lombra um, uh, uh, kerfuffle, as it were, is it really imported if it's uh, being made in in the United States? And for me, I'm just going to leave that up for the philosophers to decide. Uh, I fucking it's all beer. (laughs) <laughs> Listen, uh, it's it's an import brand that's brewed in America. Um, uh, make peace with this. Uh, it's and it's they're usually pretty good. Um, I think they're kind of like the American imports in Europe. Uh, you know, they're they are they are a a purchase for a special occasion or a, a special experience. Um, but almost in reverse, I think down here there will always be a place for the 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 hard to find uh, European brews, just because a lot of them are a a, a a kind of a revisit to the original inspiration for uh, what uh, made all of this uh, uh, wonder and glory that you see among us possible now. People uh, uh, running down to their local bottle shops. Uh, uh, grabbing well, a... we can get the mouth for a uh, fucking beer that's going to explode on their way home because we're a fucking bunch of dumb, fucking, hype-happy, stupid motherfuckers. If you can fall asleep to that, I you please uh, uh, let us know because that's actually kind of uh, 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 kind of impressive. I and also uh, the, uh, thank you for tr- for sneaking in one uh, uh, rant about uh, slushy sours into this. You're welcome. <laughs> Tyler, do you have anything else for us today? That is it for me. Um, I do have one. I have a one really quick thing I wanted to hit. Um, um, uh, I I found this article in Quench magazine. Uh, there's not. There's. I I don't want to go into it except for the fact that um, they basically uh, uh, the whole article was about what we've talked about before, like the great, like learning curve of the beer geek. Like you start off, there's, there's a whole article that kind of backs all this up where you kind of go, you kind of get your entry into like, Oh, you got your, Oh, like, Oh, like someone says, well, try this Amber ale or try this Porter or try this, you know, IPA. Like, Oh, these are pretty good. And you get deeper and deeper. And some wag hands you a barrel aged beer. Like, Oh my God, I want nothing else now. And, you spend all your money on Tavor and drinking only things that are like 15% that had to be shipped from uh, at least 500 miles, uh, uh, maxing out. You're like, when... I'll suck your dick for a Tavor shipment. <laughs> <laughs> maxing out when you finally get like a, when you, when you realize you've spent a hundred bucks on fucking blessed, 
and then you you stagger into the nearest uh, 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 into your nearest tap room, look bleary eyed at the list, and go, fuck, you got like a logger oh, or something? Log. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the cycle. That's the lightest thing you got. <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is, I, again, it's a, 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 I guess what I'm saying is, there's, there is validity to our bullshit. <laughs> or at least other people see it too. <laughs> <laughs> and this has been uh, It's All Beer. If you are from uh, France, uh, or actually do find a, a, a Tyler's Weird Rants uh, comforting, you can let us know. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. Uh, or on Instagram, where I post uh, uh, occasional. Uh, uh, you can go there and see the uh, the the, um, the photo essay that I posted there of uh, Tyler's experience uh, drinking the uh, hard Mountain Dew. It was <laughs> not fun. <laughs> Which you can. I think. I think I like the. I like. I think that photo essay kind of covers the whole thing. It really was. Yeah. It, it, it hit the spectrum. <laughs> it was this. My favorite part was the, the, the two frames of you taking a drink, and then there was the third one of this, like, like this kind of realization, like, oh, my God, that's in my mouth. And then just, <laughs> and then just, like, masks of horror afterwards. So you can go. <laughs> my body was like, do we abort mission? Like, what do we do? <laughs> Every reverse gears what's happening now uh you can go see uh <laughs> you can go see that on our instagram or facebook uh, uh our page uh you can send us an email it's all beer at gmail.com if you want to uh uh uh, uh i don't know send us some caffeine because i'm feeling this was kind of a <laughs> maybe it's just me i'm kind of like Ah, oh, I can't wait for this to be uh, over. And uh, hey, it is. So let's just get, uh, let's just end this motherfucker. I'm Jeremy Jones. I'm Tyler Zimmerman. I'm gonna have a beer. Have fun. <laughs> I'm not gonna have a beer. I'm gonna go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs>